After pleading guilty to misspending campaign finance funds, Congressman Duncan Hunter has submitted his resignation. He will step down on Monday, January 13th. The announcement comes amid a years-long saga of questionable spending, first uncovered by UT Watchdog. However, he is yet to be sentenced for his crimes, and questions, both legal and political, still remain. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Well, it's finally happened. We have a date as to when Duncan Hunter will finally not be a congressman. So we have political columnist Michael Smolens and political reporter Charles Clark in the studio to explain what's coming next. And that's my first question for you, Charlie. What is next? Yeah, so now the ball kind of is in Governor Gavin Newsom's court. Uh, He does technically have every option at his disposal. He could call a special election. Um, He also legally could just leave the seat vacant until Mm -hmm. after the November general election. Um, If there were to be a special election, it's now exceedingly tricky, if not logistically impossible, to do it consolidated with the March primary, although technically he could order the registrar to do it. Um, I think that is highly unlikely. Uh, Realistically, even if, say, Monday he decided he wanted to have a special election, the earliest we're probably looking at having one would be kind of early summer. Um, And then there would be a runoff almost guaranteed, just given the demographics of the district, which would add another couple of months to it. So really, the seat isn't going to be filled anytime soon, let alone in the next six months. And personally, I find it highly unlikely that he'd try to do it anyway. Because no matter what, there's going to be an election in March and the general election in November. And then whoever gets that will be sworn in the next year, right? Correct. And then there's also the added component of this, which just complicates everything. And this is a bit in the weeds, but... That's what podcasts are for. Right? (laughs) You know, for part of, I know, what probably has the registrar probably a bit nervous, or I think would make him nervous, is the idea that, depending on the timeline of this, you could have multiple ballots out at the same time. It just increases the margin for error and confusion. It just, it really seems very difficult. You know, this Mm -hmm. isn't the same as Katie Hill, where there was a long, you know, relatively long notice kind of leading up to this thing. And uh, Michael, what was some of the politics behind this? Like, why exactly did Hunter wait pretty much a month since he pleaded guilty to finally say, hey, I'm stepping down at this date? Well, only the congressman and maybe his staff and close advisors know that. He hasn't said why, and that's been a, a question. A lot of people have speculated, what does this mean for special elections? He didn't wait long enough to make it uh, you know, totally impossible to consolidate. So, I mean, just sort of taken at its basics, it takes a little bit of time to wind things down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was some discussion that he wanted to wait for that last paycheck or at least get one more paycheck, uh, which is not an insignificant thing. Um, and, and sort of setting up the office to, to operate without him. Even if there were a special election under the most tight timeline that Charlie had mentioned, it would be months and months and months where you're going to have to have a caretaker staff. You know, they have to not represent the district, but they have to cater to the constituent calls and needs and, and requests. And a lot of staffers do that. This isn't, you know, this has happened before where people have resigned or for health reasons stepped down early. Uh, it's not too common, but uh, they will. And I guess you could also make the argument that. Um, you know, the congressman ha- may not have been so effective in the last couple of years because mm-hmm. he's been so preoccupied 
uh, with this situation. He has been stripped of his committee assignments, so he's certainly lost a lot of uh, whatever clout he may have had at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would also just add, I think, you know, it's a bit speculative, but it is worth noting that as far as the timeline of his actual tendering his resignation, by hitting January 3rd, it does appear that his pension did get bumped up a bit because mm-hmm. he completed another year of service. Now, did he think about that or realize that beforehand? Who knows? Um, we do know that he's more likely than not going to get to keep his pension despite the federal felony guilty plea. People do take stock, uh, even under normal circumstances, much less extraordinary ones like this. Mm-hmm. And we have spoken about this before, but can both of you give us the lay of the land of what is this race for you know, the, this coming election looking like, not the special election, like who's running and who's trying to obtain this seat from the Hunter dynasty? Well, uh, it, it's the one remaining Republican seat uh, that should remain in Republican hands. It, it might not. Uh, as we know, that uh, uh, Democrat Amar Kampanajar almost knocked off Congressman Hunter last year, and he's been running for three years, running very strongly. But it's one of the reddest districts in California. Meanwhile, you've got some pretty high-profile figures jump in. I think there's a total of 10 candidates, but it's really it's Amar Kampanajar and then who was a total unknown but is, is pretty much a household name mm-hmm. in the district, if not throughout the region. Um, you've got former Congressman Daryl Issa, who served in Congress for almost two decades and was a powerful figure ahead of the uh, Oversight Committee. Um, you've got Carl DeMaio, the former San Diego City Councilman and uh, radio talk show host, and State Senator Brian Jones, who you can't count out, though he does seem to be kind of uh, the, the, the lesser-known candidate, at least in terms of the, uh, uh, the polling and probably, even more importantly, the political wherewithal in terms of the, the money. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, as far as the landscape of how this kind of shifts things for the election, I think, you know, Michael and I have both heard this from a lot of people that the best case scenario for Democrats to take this seat was that Duncan situation dragged on and he ended up on the ballot Mm -hmm. in the primary and for them, hopefully in the general. With that off the table, it it certainly looks like it would be a much more uphill battle for uh, a Democrat Mm-hmm. You know, a Mark Cavanaugh or anyone else to flip the seat, but it does seem likely that he will be on the ballot, generally because with so many Republicans, that splits the voting. It would seem to be, and and one name I, I didn't mention because she's not really well known, but she is a Democrat that we'll have to see what kind of resources she can bring. Uh, Marissa Calderon, uh, she's the head of this. Uh, uh, National Hispanic um, uh, Realtors uh, or Real Estate Professionals uh, mm-hmm. Organization. Uh, interestingly, she was going to run in the neighboring 53rd district uh, that's being vacated by Susan Davis, who's retiring. She's going to serve out her term. And at the last minute, almost pretty close to the last minute, she shifted to this race. So that adds a bit of degree of uh, intrigue uh, as to, to why and, and, and what it means to Amar Kampanajar. But Unless she really changes the dynamic, and we won't know for a little bit, uh, Kampanajar should make it to the the, uh, runoff, um, not the runoff, the November general election against one of the Republicans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just to add to that and shamelessly plug something we'll probably have uh, coming up here, but, you know, uh, Marissa Calderon's entrance does make things a bit more interesting. uh, And, you know, frankly, kind of a bad week or stretch of it for Amar, I would say, just given... You lose Duncan. Uh, you have Marissa Calderon kind of emerging. We don't know how potent she will be. But also, and we'll have to see how the numbers break out because we don't have any real good polling on this without Duncan involved. 
because there's so many people in the race and now it's not simply just one Democrat, you know, depending on how Daryl and Carl do and how much of the Democratic vote Marissa peels off and some of these independents peel off, the notion I know that Michael and I had heard floated by some that, oh, well, what if two, you know, what if Carl and Daryl somehow had enough if they really just ran away with it? To top him, I think it's unlikely, but I certainly think that's more in play now than mm-hmm. right. ever and, was before. You know, California, to remind folks, it's a top two primary, so the top two vote getters, regardless of party affiliation, advanced to November, and that has ha- happened in a handful of races, both legislatively and occasionally congressional. Sometimes it happens in a very red or very blue district um, when there's sort of nominal opposition. Uh, yeah, it's a little different having somebody like Amar Kampanajar who has raised mil- and spent millions of dollars. But we'll see. I, 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 on the flip side, and it's really more of a fundraising device, but uh, Carl DeMaio is, is, is urging people to continue to contribute to his campaign because Republicans might get shut out because mm-hmm. there's, there's more than one Democrat. Uh, the dynamics would seem a little odd for that. But to be honest, uh, that, that some Democratic oper- operatives thought if there were more Republicans in the race, uh, at some point they thought a couple Democrats probably maybe could do that. I think sometimes people overthink this stuff and uh, the unintended consequences could come back to bite them. But uh, it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And it also it's worth noting that these elections are occurring at the same time as the 2020 presidential election, which is likely to boost Democratic turnout in a place like this, which is, has more Republicans than Democrats. It's unclear what effect that would have. But in general election logic, this is an advantage for Democrats because they're more motivated. Certainly in, in the, the primary, I mean, because mm-hmm. there's, a, a, there's going to be a lot of competition, despite the handful of earlier states. Uh, you know, that's Super Tuesday and California's on it. Uh, the Republicans are motivated to vote for Trump, but they, that really doesn't matter that much in the primary, whether they'll come out as much then. Mm-hmm. November will be a different thing. And so how much of an advantage? Overall, the Democrats tend to have an advantage on uh, de- uh, presidential election years. In that district, it probably would be not as great, certainly. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been very long since we finally heard the date when he is going to resign. But what has been the response from the higher-ups, both locally and in Washington, to this news? Well, you know, we certainly know that uh, some of his opponents, Mark Campanajar, Carl DeMaio in particular, had been, you know, longing for him to resign immediately the moment he pled guilty. Uh, So they're certainly happy now, although you see them kind of criticizing that, you know, I think a few of them already think this kind of eliminates the option of a consolidated election or a special election, and they kind of are making that known. Um, Yeah, I mean, Michael? Well, um, and yes, uh, Carl is sort of of the good riddance aspect mm-hmm. as as Amar Kampanajar, uh, a little bit of a different tone from Daryl Issa. Of course, he's been endorsed by uh, Duncan Hunter, the elder, the mm-hmm. senior. He's not really Duncan Hunter senior, but the former congressman who who held the seat before his son, uh, Duncan Hunter, and uh, just released an ad today, I think before, uh, at least before it was public anyway, whether he knew or not, the announcement that Duncan Hunter was going to resign his first campaign ad, which includes Duncan Hunter's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, DeMaio has been pretty critical of the, the Hunters. Uh, everybody, I think, was dealing with it with a little bit of kid gloves before, but uh, particularly now that the, 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 the Hunter... Family, I guess, uh, well, it's the father uh, who sort of oversees the whole family, is now in de- de- squarely in Ice's lap. Um, uh, uh, DeMaio is a little more critical. Mm-hmm. Right. And as far as like the higher, higher ups in the party, I mean, I would imagine that they're just glad to be able to move on from Hunter at this point. It seemed mm-hmm. like, you know, he was persona non grata in both parties. Uh, 
worth noting that Kevin McCarthy and all of the Republican uh, congressional members in California came out and endorsed Daryl Issa, so they clearly were already moving on. They had done that, I think, what, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, they would like to have done it last year, I yeah, think, before the last election, because <laughs> not publicly, but there was a push by higher-ups to get Duncan Hunter to step down last year, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't do it. Yeah, it makes sense. You kind of want to, once a scandal happens, just get it over well, as they, fast as you can. They, they thought they could lose a seat last year, and they almost did. So mm-hmm. it was uh, certainly understandable. Yeah, and then just a quick note, you know, as far as our local county party, they have been silent on just about every wrongdoing with Duncan. So, mm-hmm. you know, take from that what you will. It's interesting, and actually one of our colleagues pointed this out. Uh, formally, uh, Duncan Hunter sent letters to Speaker Nancy, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Governor Gavin Newsom stating his intent. They both need to know that he's going to resign. Um, and he sort of did a synopsis of his career as he saw it and what he has done and stuff like that. Uh, nowhere along the line has he apologized for mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the misuse of campaign funds to which he pleaded guilty to. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if any of this changes before his sentencing, because sometimes that can play a role. But he hasn't really shown any remorse, hasn't really admitted. He's mostly admitted to you know, lacking oversight. You know, in other words, he's still blaming his wife. We'll see how that works out when he's actually sentenced. Mm-hmm. And, and still hasn't faced the media other than a friendly TV station that let him script questions. So, All right. Michael Smolens, Charles Clark, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Morgan Cook, you're a reporter on the Watchdog team, and you've been covering the Duncan Hunter saga from the beginning. And recently, you and Charles Clark wrote a story about how even after all of this, Duncan Hunter will likely receive his pension. Why don't you explain why? Well, part of the reason that we believe that's the case is that no member of Congress has had their pension revoked so far because of a felony conviction. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason for that, and the reason that it is believed Duncan Hunter will be able to hold on to his pension, is that conspiracy, the charge to which Hunter pleaded guilty, um, is is an offense for which you can lose your pension, but only certain types of conspiracy. So conspiracy to commit certain crimes. And Hunter pleaded guilty to conspiracy to use campaign money for personal purposes. Mm-hmm. And that's not one of the types of conspiracy on the list of no pensions. That's interesting. So what are some of the things that actually can get you to lose your pension? Well, if, for example, Hunter had pleaded guilty to one of the wire fraud felony charges with which he was charged, that could, that's on the list. Mm -hmm. So basically in the plea, he kind of dodged a bullet there, I suppose, right? Um, Well, a legal expert that I spoke to said, you know, often these plea deals are designed so that the accused will be able to keep their pension. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's the whole thought of once someone serves their time, whatever that is, we don't really quite know what he's going to be sentenced to, that people should be given a chance to reintegrate into society. So there's no need to, you know, put layers of punishment on a punishment, assuming after everything's all said and done, you know? I think that is definitely a view that many people hold. Mm -hmm. So, and just for perspective, how much money will he be receiving when he's finally at retirement age? Well, we don't know, but based on calculations from uh, this, we used a report and their methodology. Um, based on those calculations, probably around thirty-two thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. which is probably 
less than other more senior members of Congress receive, but it's something. Right. It depends on the amount of time you've been there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his tenure is 11 years, right? 11. Mm-hmm. And I guess after this, and, you know, Duncan Hunter isn't the only congressman that's pleaded guilty to misspending campaign finance funds. Do you see anyone within Congress or ethicists suggesting that perhaps this action should be on that list, that you should lose your pension if you do this wrong? Right. Certainly some of the policy people that I spoke with for this article, they were saying, look, he committed a felony in public office and in, you know, while he was holding public office. And why should taxpayers then have to support him after he retires? That just mm-hmm. doesn't seem right. And so some of those groups, um, good government groups, you know, are trying to uh, to get some legislation going that could, you know, kind of flesh it out, add some more mm-hmm. depth to the types of crimes. Yeah, because, you know, if you think about it, having that would be another deterrent against raising money and using and spending money incorrectly. One would hope. All right, Warden Cook, thank you so much. My pleasure. In other news, the San Diego Union-Tribune is releasing a documentary series on California's 50th district. The series chronicles the scandal that upended the Hunter family dynasty and pursues the question, what happens when heavyweight Republicans duke it out to defend one of the last bastions of conservatism in California? Tickets are available for a premiere screening on Wednesday, January 22nd at the California Center for the Arts in Escondido. Go to uniontrip.com slash the 50th to buy tickets. Until next time.